that would be mentioned. Somebody would probably say Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Someone may say Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Somebody might say Luke chapter 2. The narrative about the birth of Jesus Christ. Daniel 6 may come to mind of Daniel in the lion's den. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Personally, Romans chapter 8. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And even Revelation 21 might come to mind as we have set before us the new heaven and the new earth. But let me ask the question in a different way. But I would ask the question, what's your favorite chapter in the letters written to the Corinthians? What might one say? Well, someone may say, 1 Corinthians 15, dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I have a feeling many more would say 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The love chapter. It's often recited. It's perhaps one of the best known portions of Scripture even among the unconverted. For they may hear it at a wedding or some other special service because it is a chapter that deals with love. It's the love chapter. And so I would ask that you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the chapter 12. See, before we get to chapter 13, we've got to look at at least something that's said in chapter 12 together. It is my hope that over the next several weeks we will be examining this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I believe it will be a shorter series than Deuteronomy was. First Corinthians chapter 13 is certainly a chapter that sets before the reader the virtue of love. Gordon Fee in his commentary says this, this is one of the greatly loved passages in the New Testament and for good reason. It is one of Paul's finest moments. Indeed, let the interpreter Beware lest too much analysis distracts from its sheer beauty and power. Charles Hodges in his commentary says this, This chapter, although devoted to a single Christian grace, and therefore not to be compared with the 8th chapter of Romans, or with some chapter, chapters in the epistle to the Ephesians as an unfolding of the mysteries of redemption, still has ever been considered 
one of the jewels of Scripture for moral elevation, for richness and comprehensiveness, for beauty and felicity of expression. It has been the admiration of the church in all ages. That's a glowing report about 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, 13. One more, David Pryor in his commentary writes about this chapter these words, when applied to the local church, listen to what he says, when applied to the local church, it becomes dynamite. It uncovers all the weaknesses, the gaps, the failures, and the sins in any Christian community. It is a particular challenge to any church which has seen outward success in its ministry. These words cut us down to size. They humble us because we begin to see what really matters to God. They redirect us as the body of Christ to our true calling. It is probably good for any congregation to assess its life together from time to time in the mirror of this chapter. Mr. Pryor says that we as a church ought to take the mirror of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and examine our lives together as a community. He does warn us, though, it can become like dynamite. And it will uncover some things. Perhaps we would, if all honesty, prefer to leave covered. This is not a sentimental puppy love. I grew up with that song, and they call it puppy love. But it is a strong, unwavering, enduring love. It is not primarily a feeling, but a virtue, a grace. A character. This is something we must purpose to do. John Stott says, Christian love is not the victim of our emotion, but the servant of our wills. It is not the victim of our emotion. Love is the servant of our wills. We choose, we purpose to love. And the fact is that even the best of churches struggle when it comes to the practice of 1 Corinthians 13. Often churches are more known for their divisions, their, their conflicts, than they are for their love. In the community of believers, that there's always some disagreement over some of the 
silliest things. The, carp the color of a carpet. Tie or no tie. Ask pastors what it was like to go through 2021. And the division within the church, mask or no mask? Separation or no separation? Do I hug you or don't? Remember those days? Do, do I give you a hug? I remember seeing people I hadn't seen in a while, and, and you're sort of, do I do, do we do this? And there's going to be disagreements. We all have our various opinions. Jetham this morning in Sunday school. You had to be in Sunday school to understand what I'm saying. We might have different opinions. But the one thing that ought to mark us as a community is agape love. Strong, unwavering, enduring love. And this is the chapter that guides us in that. Agape love is used ten times, nine times in these 13 verses. This love of choice, this, this love that, that leads us to action and service towards one another and towards God. But before we actually dive into the chapter, this morning I want us to have a little introduction into the chapter this chapter did not just simply fall here in the book of 1 Corinthians. It wasn't that the Apostle Paul is writing about spiritual gifts and then all of a sudden he goes, well, you know, let me talk to you about love a little bit. And then speaks about love and then goes back to spiritual gifts in, in chapter 14. There, there's a reason that this chapter is placed here. And I, I simply want to give you some words of introduction before we actually enter in to this chapter. And so, having your Bibles open, I trust, we'll begin in chapter 12 in verse 31. But I earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanking cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burnt and do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient and love is kind and love is not jealous and love does not brag and it is not arrogant. does not act unbecoming. It, it does not seek its own. is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. 
bear all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there's the gift of prophecies, they shall be done away with. If there's the gift of tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect comes... The partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as also I have been fully known. But now faith and hope and love abides, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. There's a lot there, a lot there that we as a community of believers need to put before us and measure up to this standard of what Love truly is. So this morning, I want you to notice three things with me. First of all, by way of introduction, I want to say something about this as the superior virtue. The superior virtue. And then secondly, I want to say something about the setting that is pictured before us. And then thirdly, I want you to notice with me the incentive revealed. These three things. First of all, let me say something about the superior virtue. The superior virtue. And here just to give you a a general idea, but do you realize that in the Word of God, some 16 times in the New Testament, more than any other, we are exhorted to love one another. More than any other, one another's wait on one another, care for one another, give hospitality to each other. The one that is pronounced more often than any other is this commandment, love one another. Thomas Watson refers to it as the queen of all graces that outshines all the others as the sun, all the lesser planets. It's the queen of all the graces. John Owen says, Love is the foundation of all duties toward God and man. It is the fountain, the rule, the scope, the aim, and the fruit of gospel communion. And of no one thing of present performance is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus more wonderful and intimate above all other directions then is the mutual, intense affection, love among His followers, for which He gives them innumerable precepts, exhortations, motives, 
but above all, His own heavenly example. Lest anyone think, isn't there better topics for us to consider? Can't we take up justification by faith? Can't we have a sermon on the impassibility of God? Can't we take up a different topic? Why love? And I say to you, there's no more important topic in the Word of God than that of love. And in this day and age, it's even more important. You know, you know. I don't know how many of you celebrated this or not, but last April 29th was declared a day without hate. I mean, they have a day for everything now. I know that. And, and when I read it, April 29th, a day without hate. I mean, what, what does that imply? Every other day we want to hate? I mean, hate's all around us. Republicans hate Democrats. Democrats hate Republicans. Conservatives don't like liberals. Liberals don't like conservatives. Look at the Middle East. It's hate. And in a community of believers... Love ought to be the chief ornament that we display to the world around us. Now, I'm not talking about the sentimental love. I'm, I'm talking about a love that is enduring, that we purpose to do. Look over. I just want to show you a couple of you know, I, I, there's many passages we could look to to talk about how superior this virtue is. But look over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Most of you are somewhat familiar with this chapter. It is where the Apostle Paul begins to bring home the, the practical application to what he has said in the previous 11 chapters about being justified by faith. What does that look like? And he says in the beginning of chapter 12 that we need to be living and holy sacrifices unto God, which is only a reasonable service. We need to be sacrifices for God. And someone may ask the question, what exactly does that look like? And Paul gives us clues to what that looks like. Look at verse 9. He talks about the relationship that we have to one another. And he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Love ought to, ought to mark our life. If we're living sacrifices, then love ought to be a mark of our lives. That, that we're concerned more about others than, than we are about ourselves. Going on, Romans 13. Romans 13. Verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. 
For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Remember in Matthew 22? When they were trying to test Jesus. And they asked Him this question, Which is the greatest commandment? What does He say? You know. You shall love the Lord your God. And the second is like to it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Love is fulfilling the law. One other verse. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I know Mike is beginning the series in 1 Peter, but I think it will be a while before he gets to chapter 4, so I'm not worried about stealing any of his thunder here in the near future. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Peter, who's he writing to? You remember last week? He's writing to these strangers, these aliens, followers of Christ. And he starts in verse 8 with these words, above all. That ought to capture our attention. When someone says, above everything else, above all, what? What, what is it, Peter? And the answer is, keep fervent in your love for one another. Peter's admonition is that they would keep the flame burning with love towards each other. That there would be a passion to love other people. And I believe implied in Peter's direction here is the fact that if you're not careful, that flame may begin to burn out. And you can find yourself being very selfish in your behavior instead of being concerned about one another. Love is an important virtue. It's a superior virtue. And so I trust that as we make our way through this chapter, we will do so with a sense of, Lord, teach us to love. When have we prayed that? Lord, teach me to love. I want to love You more, and I want to love others more. So that's something. I could, I could have gone to many other verses, but those are just some of the verses that I think speak of the reality. Paul himself says, and now abides faith, hope, and love. And what does he didn't say? The greatest of these is what? Love. Love. So now then, secondly, by way of introduction, let me say something about the setting. The setting in which this chapter comes before us. And there's a couple things I would have you notice in the, the picture of the setting. 
But first of all, I would make mention, who is this written to? It's written to the church. It's written to the church. You might recall that on Paul's second missionary journey around 50 A.D., he comes to Corinth. And while he's there, he receives a direct revelation from God to speak openly and fearlessly to people. Because God had prepared in that city a people for Himself. And Paul sees a church established there in that place. Acts chapter 18. We read these words. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. That's verse 1, I believe. And, and the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. So Peter, uh, Paul preaches the gospel, and God is a, pleased to, to establish a church. It, 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 it's interesting who established this church. Uh, just notice with me quickly, First uh, Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six, <clears throat> starting at verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles were inherit the kingdom of God. And what does he say next? Such were some of you. This church is made up of people who at one time were living wicked lives and the grace of God got a hold of them, transformed them, Old things passed away and all things became new. Through the work of Jesus Christ, this church was justified before God. But it's not a perfect church. And after spending some time there in Corinth, a year and six months, Paul then leaves. And when Paul leaves, all kinds of the winds of doctrine blow into that city. And it was a challenge for these new believers to keep on a straight course. And, and so as, as you read through the books of Corinthians, you find out there, there are all kinds of things going on. There, there, there's division in the church. People were following personalities. I, I like this guy. No, no, I prefer this guy. No, this guy's my favorite. Many had become snobbish. Often it was apparently very evident when they came to the Lord's table and, and they were almost divided. The, 
the, the rich and the unfortunate and whatever, and there was this division in that way among them. There, there seems to be a, a neglect of church discipline as you read through this book. There seems to be a lack of humility and consideration of others. They were prepared to take each other to court. All this was going on. Some of them enjoyed their newfound freedom in Christ without any regard to the weaker brother or their fellow believers. Anytime someone says, I wish our church was more like the early church, I want to say to them, it's not a church I want to pastor. They had their problems. But, but more specifically, when we come to chapter 12, the Apostle Paul deals with spiritual gifts and the use of spiritual gifts. And, as, and we're not going to take time, but as you read down through Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts, his topic was primarily that of there's a variety. There's a variety of spiritual gifts. But, but there ought to be unity in the use of spiritual gifts so that the spiritual gifts would be effective. Paul tells them that spiritual gifts come from God and spiritual gifts were to be used for common good. This is the instruction that Paul gives concerning the use of these gifts. But, but, but what he really wants to deal with is this reality that, that some in the church were being puffed up with the use of spiritual gifts. And some of them wanted the greater gifts. Give me the gift of tongues or give me the gift of prophecy. I, I want to be an eye. I don't want to be a big toe. And they were finding themselves, because of the use of these spiritual gifts, to begin to think of themselves as, as somebody. Look who I am. Look at the gifts I have. Paul will go on in chapter 14 to instruct them with regard to spiritual gifts in the church. But I believe that Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is, is really dealing with what he believes is, is a crucial issue that the church needs to be reminded of. And that issue is, now abideth faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Whatever gifts opportunities God gives you, it's not to lead you to bring yourself up to a place of prominence. It is for the greater good of others. 
That's the end of these gifts. That's the purpose. For the common good of others. And so when we come to verse 31, we have what I'm simply setting before you as the incentive revealed. The incentive revealed. But I earnestly desire, but earnestly desire greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. Now there's two things we have here in this verse. First of all, we have a statement made. And then we have an incentive given. The statement made, I earnestly desire the greater gifts. This can be interpreted in a couple different ways. Many people interpret it as an imperative. That is a commandment. And that the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, desire the greater gifts. As though it's their responsibility. But this statement could also be an indicative. An indicative is stating a fact, a reality that may be prevalent in the church. So Paul may be saying, and this is where I fall down. I mean fall, not literally, but this is where I fall. That Paul is saying, you know, some of you are simply striving for greater gifts. You want want the more visible gifts so that others can see you. They, they, They coveted what some might consider higher gifts. I'm not content with what I have. I want even greater gifts. Jealousy was another thing that this church had to deal with. In in chapter 3, in verse 3, For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking as mere men? So it could be translated as, I grant, an imperative, seek greater gifts, or, or it could be an indicative, you people live striving, coveting greater gifts. But I will show you a more excellent way. And I, and I believe it's the indicative because, I mean, what's he been dealing with here? He's been dealing with, you know, don't, don't. Use these gifts for yourself. Use it for the greater good. And he's also told them it is God who gives gifts. Not something we simply decide we're going to have. Opportunities we're going to have. In one of John MacArthur's sermons, he mentions, I feel that instead of an imperative mood, 
This is actually an indicative mood, which could then be read something like, you Corinthians are earnestly desiring greater gifts, which was undoubtedly the case among the puffed up fleshly saints in Corinth. It is also fit, it, this, it also fits with the fact that the Spirit gives gifts sovereignly, independent of man's desire. So when I say I land with the indicative, not the imperative, I just want you to know, and I've told you before, I don't want to stand up here alone. I, I stand here with others who come to this conclusion. Again, Mr. Pryor in his commentator says, those who have certain gifts develop a proud attitude towards those who do not. And those who want these gifts become depressed because they do not seem to be able to receive them. If, on the other hand, it is love which controls and prevails in the church, then every member will be freed from being to, for, freed to bring his particular gifts to God and ask for more gifts, not for his own sake, but for the benefit of all. So there's the statement made, but then notice the incentive given. I will show you still a more excellent way. A more excellent way is an emphatic phrase. The thought is something outstanding, beyond comparison. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul having this letter read to the church at, at Rome and, and one of the elders is reading this letter and, and he comes to this statement, I will show you still a more excellent way. Can you imagine the believer sitting there hearing this letter read? What could that way be? I want to know that way. I want to know the more excellent way. What is it? What's more spectacular than these gifts? And I sort of imagine them sitting on the edge of their seats just waiting to hear, because I want that. And then he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Nothing. The more excellent way that Paul points us to is love. And then he opens up in this chapter what that love looks like. And my friends, I want to say it probably, I don't want to discourage you, but be ready for the dynamite. Because our sin may be exposed. Because you read through this chapter, at least I do, and I'm thinking, I, I don't love as I ought. I don't love as I ought. That's the more excellent way. You know? I mean, think about it for a moment. If, if you told me you want to become an artist, 
And, and I tell you, well, well, come on over and I'll give you a few lessons. And you say to me, really? You can t- yeah. I mean, I can take a pencil and draw a line. You know, I, I, can, I can write the word boy and then make a face out of that. Pretty talented, huh? And someone may come up along beside you and say, listen, I appreciate Pastor Walden's willingness to help you become an artist. But can I show you a more excellent way? Go visit Carlos. And that's what Paul says to us. I want to show you an excellent way. And, 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 I, and I believe as believers, our hearts ought to go out. I want to go that way. I want to be there. And so just in a few minutes as we bring this introductory message to a close, I want to set just some practical steps that need, we need as a church to realize First of all, we need to acknowledge that apart from knowing the love of God, we'll never love as we ought. Apart from knowing the love of God, we will never love as we ought. As you read down through 1 Corinthians 13, Christ ought to come to your mind over and over again because He is a perfect example of love. Many of us would have to say, don't follow me because I don't have it down. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. And if you're here this morning... And without Christ, I guarantee you, you try to climb this mountain and you're never going to make it to the peak without Christ. You will fall. But knowing Christ's love, knowing the love that God has for His people is an example for us to follow. So we need to begin by acknowledging that apart from knowing the love of God, we will never love. Do you know why so many have such a difficult time loving others? They do because they don't know true love that's found in the love of God. Secondly, let me just say this, that we as a church, we as a church need to realize that we're not exempt from not walking the more excellent way. Church at Corinth need to be reminded there's an excellent way to walk. Walk this way. And we need to be reminded of that. 
we have not loved as we ought. And we need to grow in our love. We need to grow in understanding what love truly is. And we need to be careful in seeking first a more excellent way. I mean, we can go out and say, you know what? We're a church that holds to the 1689 Confession. And I'm not downplaying this. I'm a 1689er. Right? But if we hold to that and we don't love each other, what good have we done? We can go around and talk about covenant theology. We, we can go around and, and speak about Calvinism or, or whatever else you want to call it. And yet if we're void of genuine love, if we don't love each other as we ought, and we don't love the world as we ought, what good have we done? And we're not exempt from missing that boat. And therefore, thirdly, I would say, over these next several weeks, I trust you'll pray. Pray and ask God to teach us to love. To genuinely love. so that those in society may know we're His disciples. By this shall all men know Me, by your love for one another. I believe we can shine as bright lights in this world if we love as we ought. Everybody, everybody's trying to figure out how to get rid of hate. I went, I went to a soccer game a couple weeks ago. It was the first game of the regionals. So it was an exciting time. And an announcement was made that, that if you're from Oak Hill, you sit on this side. If you're from Leon, you sit over there. And so they separated us. But guess what? I got the one guy from Leo who decided to sit on our side. And he decided to sit right next to me. And so every time, and Leo was a good team, so he had more to cheer about than I did. But, and every time they did, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And part of me is like, sir, did you not hear the announcement? You know, sit over there. But I sat through that whole game. Listen to this guy. I, I knew the other team because when they took, substituted, he went, All right, Elizabeth, good job, Elizabeth. Nobody else is cheering for Elizabeth, but there he is. What was funny was after the game, somebody, I don't know how it came up. I think, nope, I, there, was, there was no, it's not like the NFL, I guess. Every week there's a big fight in the NFL in the stands, but uh, there was no big fight. But, but somehow it came up, why are you over here? It was interesting what he said. He said, I think there's enough division in this world. 
And to think about taking two teams with adults who can't sit together, even though they're cheering for other teams, that's wrong. So I'm not going to give in to the idea that we need to be separated, them over there, us over here. So I just purpose, I'm going to sit amongst the fans of the other people and just show we can get along even though we're cheering for somebody else. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't say it. Many times I wanted to say, buddy, what are you doing? I didn't say a thing. I endured it. <laughs> there, is, there, there are many things that can divide us. There are. It's true. But we ought to show love. We ought to be marked by this love. And so I, I pray, and I trust you'll pray, that as we open up these things together, and, and none of us, I mean, because of the attitude, I, I know what it means to love, or do we? Lord, teach us to love that we might shine as lights in this world. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that the instruction that Your Word gives to us, that by Your grace we will follow, we will be obedient. And Father, we pray that in weeks to come, You'll send the dynamite. And where we have not loved properly, that we would acknowledge it and turn away from it. And where You instruct us to love better, that we would love better. And that we would be a church that is not known primarily because of our theology, and certainly theology is important, but that we would be a church that's known by our love. Our love for You and our love for one another. Father, we pray this morning that you would have dealings with some who sit here and have a hard time loving because they don't know the God who is love. And may you work in their hearts and bring them unto yourselves, unto yourself, that they might love as they ought. But only by the work of your Spirit can that happen. And so we pray it does. And so, Father, we pray that we would take heed to these things and in that way bring glory to Your name as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take your hymns of grace and turn to 334. It's a hymn we've sung before, uh, not too often. It's a hymn that speaks about uh, our worship of God. The third verse, notice, Let us love our God supremely. Let us love each other too. May that be our prayer. Rachel, will you play through it all the way and then we will sing it together, please.